You're now listening to episode 132 of the Real Estate CPA Podcast. Your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Brandon Hall and Thomas Castelli here with Mike Freed. In today's episode, we discuss insurance, including what to look out for when obtaining insurance policies on your single-family, multifamily, or commercial properties, why you should reach out to a public adjuster instead of relying on the insurance company's valuation, how casualty losses impact your taxes, and much more. We do want to let everybody know in advance that we had some audio issues while recording this episode, and while we did our best to fix it in post-production, it's still not 100%, but it was such a good conversation and we did want to release it anyway. Also, before we dive right into today's episode, we did want to remind everybody about our Tax Smart Real Estate Investor Facebook community. It's the one-stop shop for real estate investors to learn about tax strategies and stay up to date on all the tax law changes. With nearly 650 members and counting, there are a ton of conversations taking place right now. Join today by visiting www.facebook.com slash groups slash tax smart investors or by following the link in the show notes below or you can just search us on Facebook. I'm sure we'll pop right up. We're looking forward to seeing you in there. But for now, we're going to jump right into today's episode. Hey, Michael, thanks so much for taking time to come on the show today. Would you be able to give our listeners a little information on your background and your work? Yes, of course. My name is Michael Freed. I'm a public insurance adjuster domiciled in Austin, Texas. A public insurance adjuster is a consumer advocate insurance representative that works only for the insured policyholder, not the insurance company. I'm the current incoming president of the Texas Association of Public Insurance Adjusters. Uh, I'm on my 17th year of insurance claims, and I'm licensed in over 20 states on a national uh, spectrum travel all over the country and outside the country for any type of insurance loss, uh, specializing in commercial and multifamily, office parks, high-rises, condominiums, apartment complexes, et cetera. Nice, nice. Uh, so <clears throat> as a public adjuster or you know, a general adjuster, you know, where exactly do you fit into like the insurance process? Sure. Most of our clients call us first at the onset of an insurance claim, as we generally represent commercial and large loss claims, there's a, a specialty niche to handle that and execute it at a high level. So uh, the insurance company is going to hire a group of experts, not only an insurance adjuster, but forensics for business interruption. Uh, they use CPAs. We have our own CPAs that we work with as well. We have engineers that we work with that specialize on the consumer advocacy side of causation and cost. We have an entire estimating team that specializes in its own designated trades, such as roofing, exterior cladding, interiors. We understand current market costs of drywall, uh, labor rates, all of the important aspects that go into a claim. We facilitate it on the client's behalf. The best time to do that is at the onset of a claim uh, because we're, we're fee-based and contingent, similar to a, an attorney or a law firm would be, uh, th there's no real advantage to hiring us later and seeing what the insurance company is going to offer. Uh, there, there's no cost savings to hiring us later. You're only losing time. So the sooner that you contact a public adjuster, the sooner you will get all of the money owed on a claim 
and the faster you'll be back to work or back to renting out the space or collecting rents, uh, whatever it may be in your specific circumstance. Got it, got it. So it's like you work you work uh, on behalf of, say, the owner of an asset to get, like the, the insurance is going to come with their with their appraisal of, of whatever the damage is and you come with, you come representing the individual um, in terms of what you believe their damage is. That's exactly right. We use forensics for every aspect of the claim. So we have our own licensed insurance adjusters as specializing in estimating, specializing in forensic business interruption, any loss of rent, any loss of revenue, continuing business expenses, uh, what it costs to put a roof on in any specific market, uh, especially after a fire or, or major water loss. We do a lot of hotel claims where you might have somebody stuff a shirt down a toilet on the 14th floor and water runs down all floors. Uh, that stuff's complicated. There's, a, there's not only a damage aspect to it, but there's a financial revenue loss to it, which requires the use of CPAs that we work with on the forensic side, the, the analysis side. And just diving into that a little bit more, um, you know, what, what else goes into evaluating, you know, the, the extent of the damage and the dollar value? Is it software, you know, consultants like site inspections? I know you mentioned CPAs. Uh, what, what, what else goes into all that? Sure. So we, we do a site inspection for every single case. Uh, we, we don't just take every claim that walks in the door. You can imagine this being a niche market. We get a lot of calls for claims. So we qualify every one of them. And each one has its own set of DNA. We can't really use the, uh, the same methodology for each claim. Uh, hotels are different than apartment complexes. Uh, large houses are different than any business. So we, we try to dissect based on each individual claims needs, but everyone starts with a site inspection and policy review. We have to make sure there's coverage before we can determine what the amount of covered loss is. It's like a doctor trying to tell you you have a broken arm without an x-ray. We don't have a policy to work off of. Got it. Got it. And just, and just a quick question there in terms of like, Say say something happens. How do I how do I know as like a policyholder or as the person who owns the asset? How do I know it makes sense to call you um, versus just letting my insurance figure it out? Like how, how do I know at what point does it make sense to get someone else involved versus just I guess just trust that the insurance is probably accurate enough? Well, let's keep this simple, boys. Would you let the IRS do your taxes for you? No. <laughs> okay. I guess. I guess, I guess, it's, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I guess my, 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 I guess, you know, to, to add a little bit, I guess at what point of, of damage does it make sense? Like if, 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 if a window breaks, I'm going to submit like a, a, and people might not do that, but I'm going to submit like a very small negligible claim it might not be worth maybe doing that. I, I imagine. Um, we but it, a, we have a minimum threshold of a hundred thousand dollars in actual sustained losses. That's actually easy to get to if you have a, a, Again, a hotel or a condo or office building and a window blows out, water's coming in, you're shutting down the building, especially now with COVID and having to clean the building when you have restoration professionals in there. 100000 is very easy to get to, and the insurance company is not going to volunteer that to you in, in any way. Look, I'm not anti-insurance by any means. I, I love insurance companies and, and how they operate. Otherwise, I'd be out of a, I'd be out of a job. But they're not going to volunteer all the coverages to you. They're going to see a broken window and they're going to pay you $500 to fix your broken window. But if water came in that window and now you have uh, remediation and, and water restoration companies that have to come in, uh, you're starting to talk about a, a lot of additional dollars. You can't do the remediation and have fans and dehumidifiers in your building 
when you've got tenants that occupy a certain space or now that you've got restoration companies coming in replacing carpet or floor tile you've got to now clean and sanitize the building and the workspace there's there's a lot of moving parts that are beyond that $500 broken window that you might see and is there coverage for it because oftentimes uh, deductibles now are high uh, you know there's 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 a lot of moving parts to an insurance claim and you as a property owner or a property asset manager really don't have the time or expertise to handle an insurance claim at least not in today's you know uh, I guess business world probably the safest way to put it got it got it so you know in terms of I guess you know looking at some of the the more specific asset classes if we were to look at like a multi-family insurance policy you know what do you think that a multifamily owner needs to be aware of if they're taking a look you know, at an insurance policy, what needs to be covered or just you know, what, what are the traps they need to look out for? Sure. So one is that we see probably most often that negatively affects the multifamily owners is what's called co-insurance. And with multifamilies, unless you have an A plus or an A property, oftentimes you're price shopping for your policy. With price shopping on the policies comes limited and reduced coverage and or higher deductibles. Most people feel that a better priced policy in the event you need it is a better option. I, it couldn't be farther from the truth. We always say you need to coverage shop and worry about the cost later because with today's climate, speaking of climate, with climate change, everything is, is happening faster, happening, it's more expensive uh, to have an insurance claim. The weather is getting worse. We're seeing it firsthand. The talent on the adjusting side is getting worse and claims are just being mishandled from start to finish now. So having the best possible coverage will certainly shorten the runway to a better resolution of an insurance claim. It's not a matter of if, but a matter of when you will have a claim, whether it's an apartment fire or wind or hail damage to your roofs only, uh, fire suppression systems let loose all the time. Somebody puts a hanger you know, on, on the fire suppression out well, a sprinkler head, anything could happen. So these things happen every day. We deal with them on a daily basis. And what we find the most is that people don't carry enough coverage or their deductible is three or 4% of the total insured value. So they may have a $200,000 deductible and didn't even know it. So what makes for a strong policy and what makes for not a great policy? Are there some sure. hard hitting things that you Yeah, so touching back up on coinsurance, uh, not to get granular with you guys, but coinsurance means you're responsible to carry a certain amount of insurance to value of the building. And generally speaking, it's 80%. So if you have a $1 million asset, you need to carry 800,000 in insurance. If you have less than 800,000 in insurance, you can be penalized by that percentage from any potential settlement that you may get. So if you have 500,000 in coverage and your building's worth a million, then you may only get 50 cents on the dollar from the actual settlement of an insurance claim. So co-insurance is probably the single most important thing, valuing the loss, not including the land and oftentimes not including the foundations to keep it simple, but not including the land or the foundations. What are your buildings actually worth? And that's how you wanna tailor the coverage of your insurance claim. That's also how you wanna tailor the deductibles. So the biggest issues we run into are our limited resolution on claims due to co-insurance and then people getting blindsided by their deductibles. And, and we're, we're dealing with one right now in Florida. It's a 20 building apartment complex. 
and he's got a uh, very large deductible for hurricanes, 750,000. That's catastrophic. That's just as bad as getting hit with a hurricane. Now you have two hurricanes to deal with, Hurricane Deductible and Hurricane Sally. That's rough. That's rough. So yeah. So 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 basically, basically with a coinsurance, it's it, and is that value? Is that based on the fair market value at any given time, or is that fair market value at the time of purchase? It's at the time of inception of the policy. Uh, there's what's called inflation guard that's built into every policy that every year it may go up by two, three, four percent of that value with inflation. The policy will go up as well. Um, it, it's. Yeah, I would say at the time of inception to keep it simple, something to look for. So switching gears to single family homes, what can you can you walk us through what you most commonly, I guess I'll ask you two questions. The most common type of insurance with single family homes, because I know there's like actual cash value versus replacement costs versus guaranteed or extended replacement costs. So, so walk us through what you typically see and then tell us what, what we should typically go for, or is it just kind of property dependent? You know, is there like a, a one way you should always get this type of uh, coverage or how does that work? Uh, again, you'd have to be specific as to whether or not this is uh, an investment property or a primary residence. And you will certainly have different coverages between those two. So a, uh, an investment property you would generally have less amounts of coverage. You wouldn't have any coverage for personal property. And if you did, it would be limited, assuming you have a furnished place. Uh, you need to make sure that you have loss of rents coverage. That way, in case you do have a fire, you actually have coverage for the rental income that you're losing because a fire restoration takes anywhere from six to nine months. And if it's very severe, generally it takes the full 12 months that are covered within the policy. So. From an investment standpoint, making sure that you have, uh, again, the proper amount of insurance to value at no less than 80%, have manageable deductibles, and then have coverage for rental income. Now, one thing I see excluded a lot on investment residential properties is sewage backup. And I'm not sure why that's always excluded, but also limitations on water damage. Those are, uh, water damage is the most common singular daily cause of loss, not, not weather related. That's a pipe break, uh, toilet overflow, washing machine discharge, things of that nature. So uh, most common cause of loss being water damage, insurance companies have started limiting coverage on those items on non-primary residence policies, and even on some primaries, but we'll get to that next. So uh, really reading your policy is the single most important thing at the inception. And any questions that you have about it should always be in writing to your agent or broker. Don't just have a call over the phone or text message because if you request the maximum coverage and you get a policy that doesn't have coverage for sewer backup, then the agent could potentially be on the hook for an error and omissions case if they don't have it later when you need it. So everything should be done in writing. Always ask for your best coverage, tailor price later. Uh, it's hard to say that as an investor and as a real estate owner myself, but I, I, I only see insurance claims when there's claims made, not when there's no claims. So it's, it's just important to make sure you have best coverage going in. It's like, uh, you know, going to war without weapons in your gut. So Wait, where can you save money on premium? So I, I ask for the best coverage. I get the quote back and I go, wow, that's expensive. Where should I be looking to cut? 
Well, I think that you should probably shop multiple carriers first, find out what the competitive market rates look like. Uh, if there's any type of potential for security, uh, security system, cameras, that can also help. If there's fencing, that helps. Otherwise, with investment properties, there's not a tremendous amount of areas to shortcut on savings because you, they're, they're oftentimes considered transient. So uh, really policy shopping, uh, company shopping, as opposed to coverage shopping. Got it. And Got then it. Don't, don't think that, you know, paying $100 less on your premium for $1,000, you know, $2,000 more in deductible is a good financial decision because it's not. Uh, you have to kind of have the value. 10 years. Every 10 years, you, you may have an insurance claim. That's the rule of thumb. So if you have a $100 difference in premium, that's $1,000 over the course of 10 years. And if you're not saving $1,000 or more on the deductible, then it's not a financially sound decision to save 100 now. Interesting. So that's a good rule of thumb to use a 10-year sort of cycle. Yep, every, um, every 10. And frankly, that's high. Uh, we deal with a lot of asset holdings and a lot of large portfolios, even some banks that have a lot of holdings and, and there's claims every three, five years on a lot of the rental properties, whether it's hail, wind, flood, fire, water damage, vandalism, very common on those. So we see them three to five years, but 10 is safe. Can, can you apply that 10 year rule to each property? Is that like a per property rule? I would. Okay, okay, yep. very good. Some people go their whole lives without ever having a claim but they probably didn't know that they had a couple in the meantime that may have been covered. Got and, it. Uh, and some people may actually get lucky and never go through it, but they would be of the minority, not the majority. Well, how do you know if you, if you have something that could be covered, you know, call a public adjuster, call a contractor, ask them to look at it. It's free to have a public adjuster come look at your claim. Same thing with a contractor. You shouldn't ever have to pay for a contractor's opinion or a public adjuster's opinion. Uh, and then a public adjuster comes out and looks at the property, uh, may climb the roof, may look at the plumbing, check the attic, check the AC. It's, it's similar to a home inspection, but it's really claim specific. So if your AC drip pan overflows and you've got a leak coming in, we're not going to necessarily you know, look at your electrical system. We're going to look at the AC. So uh, it's usually pinpointed, usually quick. And then we check the policy for coverage against water damage from ACs. So on my primary residence that I sold uh, middle of 2020 here, so I live in Raleigh, North Carolina, and we moved up the street <clears throat> to a bigger property. Once you have kids, your, uh, your house gets real small real quick. <laughs> so we had, to, we had to get more square footage. Uh, but, but on the old property that we sold, I was outside mowing one day, and this guy pulls up in this huge truck. If, you're, if you've never been to North Carolina and you do come, the one thing that you'll notice, probably South Carolina too, is that everybody's got really big trucks, really blacked out, big lifted trucks. So this guy pulls up and I, my, heart, my heart starts pounding. I'm like, oh God, who did I piss off? <laughs> I did, I'm a pretty, you know, I keep to myself. I don't know what's going on. He, he leans over the window and he goes, hey, hey, you need a new roof. <laughs> and I kind of like looked at my roof and it's like, I take offense to that, man. Like, what are you doing? Rolling up, telling people they need new roofs. And right. uh, he's like, oh, you need a new roof. And he's like, tell you what, I think I can get it. I think I can get your roof almost for free. Well, what, what do you say? I come take a look. And I was just like, so I turn off the mower and I walk over and I'm like, who are you? <laughs> what, is, what, what is it? What's your deal? And he's like, oh yeah, I'm, I run a roofing company. And, uh, and he's like, I drive around the neighborhood and I was hoping to get you one day. Cause I drive by this house all the time. Your roof's worn out, but uh, a lot of the properties here have hail damage. And so I can come up and I can, I can inspect it. 
and I can get the, uh, the adjuster to come out and I can walk him through it and show him all the issues. And uh, normally insurance will kick in. Sometimes it'll, it'll be for free. It just depends on your coverage. And I was like, all right, well, sure. I mean, I'm at, I'm at risk pretty much zero. So yeah, let's go for it. So he gets on the roof. He's like, yep, sure enough. You got some hail damage, got wind damage. And uh, he gets the adjuster out there and the adjuster's like, yeah, sure enough. You got hail damage and wind damage. And, uh, and we ended up getting a roof not necessary, not close. It was, it was pretty good, <laughs> but we didn't have the, uh, the, the beautiful insurance that you're talking about. As I found out through that process, way better than way better than coming out of pocket for the entire thing. But I, I think I was still out of pocket, like 1500 bucks or 2000 bucks, but it was great. When the guy, he came, brought his whole team over one day, they were out, they were in out. Um, it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> You just increase the value of your home by probably fifteen to twenty thousand dollars by getting a new roof and letting someone else pay for it. Even yeah, fifteen hundred bucks—that's a small price to pay for a new roof. Yeah, yeah. So, wow. but but that was something like that's why I asked that question. Like, how do you even know? Because I mean, I knew my roof was old, and I knew that we were gonna have to replace it within the next couple of years. I didn't know that it potentially had a hail damage or wind damage, and I just like kind of sat there and thought about it. And I was like, well, oh, crap, man. And any time that I make an improvement. Maybe I should just call the insurance adjuster up first, just to see, just to see what's what's out there. I can tell you that the results likely wouldn't have been the same if you didn't have your roofer there. Got uh, it. Interesting. Say that, and uh, not all roofers are as effective as that one that you had. Uh, there's no real license requirements for roofing like there is insurance adjusting and public insurance adjusting. But I started my career as a hail chasing roofing contractor. <laughs> it was back in 2002, back before there was uh, uh, <laughs> there were, uh, uh, GPSs and navigation systems and hail maps. I don't even know how I found my way around then. But uh, yeah, that's, that's where I started. It was a great uh, career choice and elevated me to really understand roofing as a trade prior to becoming an insurance adjuster and then prior to becoming a public insurance adjuster. Interesting. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yep. Well, well, let's go back to actual cash value versus replacement costs versus extended replacement costs. What are the differences between those? Okay. So actual cash value is the amount of money you would be owed today for the replacement cost, less depreciation. Uh, depreciation is not like driving a car off the lot. You didn't lose money. It's an insurance term used to make sure that you physically do the replacement of said property as long as you have coverage for replacement cost. Uh, a big misconception, easier to start there, is when people think they have replacement cost, and most people do, more, more policies are replacement than not, they feel like when they get an insurance claim payment, it'll be the total amount that was owed because they have a replacement cost policy. Well, that's not true. It's still subject to recoverable depreciation. Uh, once you do the work, you're entitled to that depreciation so long as you spend the money properly. So replacement cost and actual cash value, the difference is depreciation and replacement cost is an endorsement that you would pay more for. You can save money on a premium to have actual cash value, but if you have a home that is uh, from the 60s, 70s, 80s, you're basically going to get 20 or 30 cents on the dollar and you won't be entitled to any more money when you do have an insurance claim as a result. Uh, it's really a coverage of last resort or minimum coverage, think auto, when you just have collision or liability, you don't have enough coverage in case somebody gets hurt or in case you total somebody's car, or drive into their yard, whatever it might be. Limited coverage, actual cash value. Replacement cost, full coverage. 
at today's dollars. Got it. So we should really be going for replacement cost. Always replacement Always. cost at the top of the food chain. That guaranteed replacement cost doesn't kick in until you have uh, generally a total loss. So fire is when you would most often see guaranteed replacement cost. And that's, uh, I'll give you a good example. In Houston, Texas, we just did a residential house fire for a longtime client uh, who had guaranteed replacement cost, had 495,000, let's just call it 500,000 in coverage on, on her house. And uh, it was about 565,000 to rebuild just due to today's inflation. Wow. Yeah. So, wow. but because she had guaranteed replacement cost, she had up to 25% coverage in addition to the 500 for said guaranteed replacement cost in the event of a total loss, which is how the policy would read for guaranteed replacement cost. So uh, we ended up getting the full 565. Uh, again, that would have never been volunteered. And in fact, the insurance company's first offer was about 260. So uh, we were able to, after about two months of fighting, negotiating and inspecting, get it up to the 565,000 and that was that. Do the insurance companies know who you are and they like, they're fearful of you stepping into these negotiations? <laughs> uh, sometimes. Uh, yeah. I, think, I think that's safe. Uh, if, if we come in late and the claim is, is already sideways, they're generally relieved to see us uh, because it's going to help them straighten it out. Usually Got there's communication breakdown between uh, the business owner and the insurance company as to why this is or is not happening. Uh, they, claims take time. You know, everybody says, well, hey, I've been paying premiums for 20 years. You, you accept my money every month. And now when I have a claim, it's taking you 30 days for you to even, uh, you know, make any payment or confirm that I even have coverage for a car driving into my building. I mean, it seems so elementary to the policyholder that this is covered. This is why I have insurance. But the amount and the causation and the cost and the circumstances take time to actually figure out when you're the one stroking the check or signing the mm. front or the back of it. Mm. I feel like I'd have so much power if I were in your position, but anyway, <laughs> you kind of know how everything works, right? In, uh, in a sense, we do. Uh, it's, it's, you know, a lot of people hire attorneys when their claims go south, but the attorneys just hire us because they uh, you can do anybody you want, but you can't really move forward with litigation until you know exactly how much you're suing them for. Right. So we're the ones that tell you exactly how much you're doing it for. And we would just generally do that without the attorneys. Now, um, there's, there's no real advantage to hiring or not hiring one. Uh, it's really personal discretion. Some people prefer to, especially with a business, because there's a lot of liability aspects. But, yeah. uh, you know, they're going to come to us to tell, tell us how much it is anyway. All right. So one, one more question related to single family home insurance, and then we can move on to commercial. Uh, I know Tom's been dying to ask you the next question, but I've got a question before I'm going to let him take over. So I was reviewing a tax return for somebody one time. This is many years ago. They had about a hundred properties, uh, all sub 100 K properties, single family homes. Yeah. So it's so not like super expensive or anything uh, is right around a hundred properties. Now, one thing that I, told them and I was like super excited with myself because I found a very easy, obvious error. There was no insurance premiums deducted on any of his rental properties and about a hundred of these. Right. So I was like, Oh, we're going to win this guy's business so easily. Like, you know, current, current CPA or current tax advisor can't believe that they missed something that elementary. Uh, so I tell them this and I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like this for every all hundred and you're probably missing about $70,000 worth of premium deductions that you could take in and 
and your tax, the, the tax cost there is probably 20 or so thousand dollars between Fed and state. And the, the person goes, no, 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 that's not a mistake. I don't have insurance on any of my properties. And I'd never heard of this before. I didn't even know that you could do that. So then I was like, I was, and I guess you obviously you can, if you just purchase cash, you can't, if you have a loan, but he, he had purchased the, all these cash. So I started talking about it and tried to understand his reasoning. And he was like, well, I mean, I, I, it cost me $70,000 a year if I have insurance on all of these properties. And so I just banked the premium cost. And uh, if something happens, then, then I just pay for it out of pocket. And he said, in all my years of investing, I've only had one rental burned down. And it was about $40,000 to, uh, uh, it was about a $40,000 cost and cost me about 60, 70 to rebuild. It's about a year of my insurance savings premiums. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, is that, I'm, that's my gosh, my, if you own it outright, it's really your decision to make. The only reason you need to have insurance is to satisfy loans, yeah. uh, you know, lien holders. Uh, otherwise that you're protecting your risk. Uh, I personally, I mean, I own properties outright and I have insurance on them. Uh, I don't want to have to pay cash to fix one, uh, under any circumstance, but I also know how to write my own taxes, if you will, uh, on insurance claims. So, uh, my, my opinion is always have insurance and have the best insurance. Uh, but it's discretionary to the user. If you own them outright, it's your decision to make. And, and we always see, you know, a lot of large companies self-insure, mm -hmm. maybe not on the residential real estate market side, because there's just more risk there. But, uh, so we see it a lot. Uh, there's not much I can do from an adjusting standpoint, because I can only represent you against your insurance company. So if you don't have insurance, I can't help you. Uh, I can mm. just give you some advice. Yeah. Yeah. It was just really interesting to see. I'd never heard of it before, but th that's essentially what this guy was doing was self-insuring. And, and I guess that works if you, if you actually bank the $70,000 of premiums, you actually bank that savings and you stash it away and let it grow. Um, kind of almost like a captive insurance company, which I know are currently being challenged by the IRS. So don't go and jump into one of those uh, without guidance. But uh, theoretically, I guess if you bank the premium costs and you, you invest it and let it grow, then that could, could be a decent strategy if you understand the risks and you understand, and you're in a decent geographic location where you're not going to get crushed with fires or hurricanes or snowstorms. But yeah, it was just, it was, it was bizarre. I, I had never well, seen him walk away a hero. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I know. I, I thought I was going to be like, like winning this guy's business and he was sitting here. Like, nope, no, no. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> but anyway. I was gonna say I thought about self-insurance before, but uh, it's always like you, know, you have to. It's for the catastrophic things. It take you a long time to be able to self-insure that stuff. So I've always like, I was like, I might as well pay the insurance premiums instead. But um, I, I have a good example while we're on that. We represent a couple of brothers in Amarillo, Texas, kind of a lower risk region because they're inland, they're central, don't really get a lot of tornado action. They're outside Tornado Alley. But they own, uh, between the two of them, about 160 residential properties uh, and carried very minimal insurance, but carried it nonetheless and owned all their properties outright. Uh, I applaud them for carrying something, but they got hit with hail and all but five were damaged, required new roofs, new windows, new siding. And had they not had coverage, uh, I mean, they would, it would have been over a million dollars in damages because it was an over a million dollar settlement uh, on their properties. So... Uh, if that gives you any idea, if all of your assets are in a singular geographical location, then I would say carry the insurance because 
one weather event, one high wind storm, one freak, anything uh, can, can be absolutely devastating. And they were all sub 100,000 with a handful of uh, maybe a couple that were nicer. But uh, nonetheless, uh, I think that's a good example. Geographical location might be the right answer there to whether or not it's a smart decision for you, uh, even if you can't afford it. That makes, sense. Over a million dollars, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. So we're nearing into the seventh inning stretch almost of this podcast here. A few more questions. Um, briefly, from a high level, is there any like special unique circumstances or things that commercial investors need to watch out for those maybe in office buildings, retail or self-storage perhaps? From an insurance coverage standpoint or claim standpoint? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I, I guess from like an insurance coverage standpoint, I would imagine. Just... So uh, storage facilities are unique because you're, you're really responsible for other people's property unless the lease actually specifies that you're not. Uh, we do a fair amount of storage properties throughout the country, whether it's fires or weather events or car drives through the whatever it might be. And uh, one of the biggest issues we see are those owners of the buildings ultimately having to pay for the property of the unit owners. Uh, and things get screwy on personal property because there's some sort of emotional value. It's not like uh, how much a square foot of drywall cost. You know, what is an heirloom that you're, you know, your, what does your mother's vase cost versus, you know, uh, what it costs to replace a lamp today or a vase, you know, today versus something that might be in a storage facility that ultimately burns down and, and you know, I, gosh, I, I testified as an expert in a, in a trial claim for a fire at a storage facility where somebody lost a baseball card collection and uh, none of them were actually certified and graded. So we couldn't really make a determination as to what the true cost was of the loss of some of those cards. Even though you can value a baseball card, whether it's online or through a, a backend service or any of those, unless you know the, the condition of it, we couldn't value it prior to the loss. So there's no forensic way to do that. From an office building standpoint, uh, tailoring coverage is, is probably most important, but you have a lot of tenants more often than not, and then you have a lot of traffic on the ground. So think of having to fix a roof at a, an office building. You've got traffic running around the building the entire time. You have to set up scaffolding around that building and especially every doorway. Uh, there's a lot of nuances to claims for, for each type of loss, whether it's interior, exterior. There's just a lot of things to think about, a lot of moving parts. And I think it comes with the experience of doing it. Uh, luckily, having been an insurance adjuster for a decade, been a public insurance adjuster now for almost a decade, um, I, I think I've seen it all, but every day I see something new. Makes sense. Makes make, makes a lot of sense that there's a few nuances. There's like a lot of nuances, especially how diverse commercial commercial real estate investing really is. Um, kind of looking back at 2019, um, not 2019, 2020. Uh, was there any like crazy COVID 19 cases that you maybe saw that were just interesting? Um, any war yes. stories? Well, we handled a couple of COVID cases. Uh, we represent a couple of national franchises uh, and all of their locations. Uh, but most of what we saw didn't have coverage for, uh, you know, any, uh, for lack of a better word, I, I hate to use the actual terminology on it, but they didn't have coverage for communicable diseases. It's probably the easiest way to put it. 
So of the ones we did see, the Cincinnati Insurance Company policy offered the most broad coverage. So I think it's safe to say we were most successful with policy, commercial policies that were uh, insured with Cincinnati. Uh, the least amount of coverage we saw was Lloyd's of London, and they had an absolute exclusion for communicable diseases, probably because they're overseas and probably because they've dealt with this before with SARS and some of the other ones, whereas some of the local uh, domestic insurance companies had not really seen it before in the United States. We did not get to handle the Wimbledon claim, which did have coverage and settled, I want to say, for $135 million in communicable losses. Uh, that would have been a nice one to represent. Uh, let's see. So one thing we saw coming out of COVID more than any other uh, time or era was a lot of uh, commercial buildings happened to catch on fire. Likely because there was no coverage for communicable diseases and there is coverage for fire. Oh, wow. So, so uh, fancy that. We, when we see scenarios like COVID, we anticipate those rates to go up. Hotels having water losses, uh, more common. Fires in the middle of the night at, at a lot of stores and uh, maybe not assets where you have multifamilies, people living at them. But we do see claim rates rise during times like this because there's a financial crunch. And what you may have once paid out of pocket for, you're now seeking alternative assistance for coverage on. So 2020 was a very busy year for us when everyone else was stuck indoors. Uh, we did not get that luxury. Uh, I, again, I live in Texas, but I'm currently in Florida right now working Hurricane Sally. It's one of six hurricanes that made landfall. So my entire team is stretched from Texas to Florida right now. And uh, we all communicate, you know, cover each other's backs at different locations. But uh, I drew the, I call it the short straw, but I'm actually the one that holds all the straws. So uh, I drew the short straw of Florida on the beach this, this winter. So, unfortunately. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. So, so it's a busy year, COVID related. I, I hear that. I, I got to imagine that that people would do all types of different things to try to up their insurance, especially during th these tough times. Um, so kind of two questions that follow along, I guess, kind of follow up questions to that is, you know, if we wanted to find someone like you in our state, I guess the first question is, what states do you represent? And then, you know, what would be your recommendation for people who don't live in the states that you represent? So each state, uh, I want to say 45 of the 50 actually license public insurance adjusters. There's a couple of states that we can't conduct business in uh, by law and by license, but I am licensed in the Carolinas, uh, Georgia, really all the way up the coast and down the Gulf, a couple of Midwestern states. Uh, I'm licensed in more states than I'm not being, well, I guess I'm licensed in 21 of the 45 uh, and then Puerto Rico. So Every state has its own nuances as far as what you can and can't do, uh, fees that are charged, uh, coverages that are mandatory. And, and I say that some states, if you have a fire, they actually owe you the amount of the damage in, in total upfront, really not subject to replacement cost or depreciation, whereas other states make you basically recreate the entire damage model in a line item estimate. So every state's a little different in how they conduct their insurance businesses. Some are more uh, protective of the big business. Some are more protective to the people. Uh, states like New York are, are more business friendly than they are consumer friendly. Same thing with New Jersey, uh, whereas Ohio protects the people. Uh, Carolinas are very good to the people. They, they want to give 
the individuals better rights than the carrier, enforcing timely prompt payments from insurance companies as opposed to delays. Uh, again, this is probably a question that is claim specific or case specific, but each state has their own specialties, what make them better or worse than any other state. Got it, got it. Got it. And so if, if, if our listeners wanted to get in contact with you, um, they listen to this podcast and, you know, what would be the best way for them to get in contact with you? I would say email or phone and I'll give you my email address real quick. It's Michael F F as in Frank at strongclaims.com. That's S T R O N G C L A I M S.com or call me at any time. Text me. It's five, six, one, six, three, two, Four eight four one. That's five six one six three two four eight four one. I am a free phone call away, and I am generally your best free phone call when there's a claim. All right, so we're gonna go ahead and drop that into the show notes. And I, I, I just one last question there on that. And I guess it, the first step in, in 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 filing an insurance claim, I'm pretty sure we went through it before. But just a quick recap: the first thing they do, do they call you? Is that the first thing they should do? Should they call their insurance company first? What, what's the first step? Sure. So if you have an apartment fire, then I would say call the insurance company. Uh, but calling us immediately is of the most important uh, steps. We can verify first, one, that there's coverage, and two, if it'll exceed the deductible, and we'll do that immediately. Uh, if you file a claim and it doesn't, if there's no coverage and it doesn't exceed deductible, you can be forced to fix it and your rates will go up just due to risk. So I would say getting the answers to the test before you take it is always the smartest decision. Got it. Got it. Thank you so much. And, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to propose a question and I'm going to, I'm going to do an alley-oop to myself because I know everybody who's listening to the Real Estate CPA podcast uh, wants to know how this affects taxes, of course. And I do have uh, the IRS publication up right in front of me right now. I'm going to let you know how it works. So if you have a casualty or theft loss, you decrease the basis of your property by any insurance or other reimbursement um, and by any deductible that's not covered by the insurance. So you generally are going to decrease your basis. And then um, you will generally increase your basis by the amount of work that you put back into the property to bring it up um, to, to where it was. Uh, there might be some nuances in there where you can actually deduct some of these uh, costs as an expense, but that's generally how it works uh, for anybody who's listening. And uh, Brandon, I don't know if there's anything you want to throw in there on the tax side for our, for our listeners. But high level, that's how it works on the tax side. And Mike, thanks again for coming on. We'll go ahead and drop your information onto the show and into the show notes for everybody who's listening. You might want to contact Excellent. Well, last thing I would say is don't let the IRS do your taxes for you. Hire a CPA. And uh, just the same, don't let the insurance company handle your insurance claim. Hire a public adjuster. That makes a lot of sense. And, and uh, I'll throw one last one last quote in here, Charlie Munger. Um, he says, uh, show me the incentives and I'll show you the outcome. And this is exactly why you do not want the IRS to do your taxes and you do not want the insurance company to do your insurance claims. That's exactly right. All right. So that's a wrap. Thank you, gentlemen.